care what you call these groups here at Wallula Christian Church. I just encourage you to be a part of one this uh, fall semester. So check those out uh, after service. Meet a small group leader. Spend some time chatting with them. And uh, don't leave this morning without uh, deciding to be a part of one of those groups this semester here at uh, Wallula Christian Church. Uh, we, we really do believe that those small groups can have a big impact in our lives and the lives of folks around us. I was uh, driving uh, home from vacation a couple weeks ago, and I, I missed my turn. I, the sign was there. It was just sort of faded, and I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with me being 42 years old. I did, the sign was faded. I couldn't see it very well, and I missed my exit, and I drove past it, and, and Sherry lovingly reminded me that I missed the exit, and I lovingly told her I couldn't read the sign. It's the state's fault. They didn't make big enough signs, and we, you know, the point of signs, right, is to have, make a big impact. And so I, I just found some pictures of signs that I think make an impact and a big impact, maybe not the impact they intended. The, the first sign here is, uh, you know, I, I guess if you're a Royals fan, you can get into this sign, right? The Royals have been in that slide, the whole rally kitty thing, I don't know. So, you know, I don't, I, remove cat's eyes. I don't know if that's the impact that they were going for. The next sign it's just confusing. Garbage only, no trash. I don't, I suppose that makes an impact. I just don't know what it is. There, here's the next one. Uh, soda's not good for you. I think kids would be less likely to drink the soda pop if we just went ahead and named it P-Cola. That, I, I don't know. I wouldn't drink it. The next one, uh, it's just, just makes you rethink those chicken nuggets, doesn't it? I, they're in that shape even. I, you know, it's a weird deal. So the next sign here, uh, I'm going to help a few of you out and help you read. Sign says Senior Citizen Center. All right, so there you go. That one's for a few of us with some gray hairs on top of our head. Here's the next one. So I'll explain it to some of us with the gray hairs on top of our head. The swimming, no if you see someone drowning, I think that's a person with their arms, like, flailing. But it also looks like L-O-L. If you see somebody drowning, don't just laugh out loud. All right, go ahead and really dial 911 because it's an emergency and you want to make a big impact. These signs make an impact. I, I don't know if they make the impact that they were intended to make. Our, our small groups can absolutely make a big impact. And, and I just want to take a look at, a, at a, the story of a local church in the book of Acts and the impact that that local church made throughout the history of the church and just the, the huge impact that the lives of those folks make. And, and it, it really came from you know, these small groups of people. Even the local church is the big C, capital C church, broken up into smaller groups and these smaller groups having a big impact and, and our small groups can absolutely have a big impact in our lives and the lives of folks around us. Uh, I think this story of a local church in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 can teach us three signs to how these groups can have a big impact. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the book of Acts. We're going to look at just a short section of scripture this morning in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. Uh, on that small group flyer, there's an outline on the back of it. Uh, there's a page number at the top of the outline that will take you quickly to Acts chapter 13. And one of the Bibles you can find in the chairs 
around you. Maybe you're using your mobile device, your phone, your tablet, or whatever. If you're using the Version app to read God's Word, you can touch the events button, and that'll take you to, uh, you can find Wallula Christian Church. It should pop right up there, and that'll take you to this section of Scripture, as well as the outline that is in your bulletin, uh, too. Uh, Acts chapter 13, three signs, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is what God's Word says. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. All right, a very short section of scripture this morning, but a really... Uh, powerful story about this local church and the impact that they've made through these three signs, three things that we need to pay attention to. Sign number one is that we ought to check out the team that was located here at the church at Antioch. That, that's how verse one begins. Now in the church at Antioch, and, and let's just unpack what we know about this church. It was a, it was a very influential church in the very early, earliest history of, of the church. It had uh, a significant impact on the growth of God's kingdom in the, in the early church world. They, they played an important role in the, in the story that we read in the book of Acts. They played an important role in, in caring for the church in Jerusalem during a difficult time. They launched all three of Paul's, uh, Saul, Paul, that, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, they launched all three of his missionary journeys. It, it grew in size to rival the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, you know, that was Jesus' plan. He said, go and make disciples, uh, begin in Jerusalem. And so the church in Jerusalem, we read earlier in the book of Acts, if you look back at Acts chapter 2, the church in Jerusalem grows very, very quickly to thousands and thousands of people, and the church at Antioch grew as well to rival that church in size. In fact, one author describes this relationship in these two churches like this. If the church of Jerusalem was the mother church of Christians in general, the church of Antioch was the mother church of Gentile Christians in particular. And one of the things that made this church such an impressive uh, church that, that reached out and that grew and it w was the team that was involved at the church in Antioch. Now, at the, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. As you read through the New Testament, you'll, you'll hear these two positions or these two gifts, these two words used together often in the New Testament. Uh, prophets and teachers. In fact, in fact, in fact, I'm going to try to say those two words together correctly. In fact, Paul writes in, in his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 to 30, he makes this list of, of spiritual gifts. And the first three of those spiritual gifts are, uh, involve these two things. He, he numbers the first three. He, he says there's the gift of uh, the apostles and of prophets and teachers, and he numbers those one, two, three, sort of sets them apart. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you read that, he later refers to these greater gifts, and I think those are the first three. And if you just stop for a minute and think about this very influential church in Antioch, it was also a very early church. Acts chapter 13, we're talking about a period of time in history, probably around 46 AD. 
Paul writes that list of spiritual gifts in his letter that we call 1 Corinthians somewhere around 55 A.D., and so we're talking about, you know, several years, a decade uh, and more than a decade before Paul pens this letter to the first Corinthians that we have included in our New Testament. So what's that tell you? That, you know, this, this group of gifts, they're, they're very important for the early church because they don't have, you know, the, the easy access to God's word. The New Testament literally hadn't been written yet. They didn't have access to all the resources that we have access to. And so the apostles were so very important because they were a link to the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. They'd walked around with him for three years. They'd seen the miracles that they had performed. They, they were there when Jesus died on the cross. They saw him raised from the dead. And so that, that group of apostles were so significant to the early church because they told the story that our New Testament tells us. Prophets were important as well. What's a prophet's main job? Even in the Old Testament, you know, you read about all the prophets and they, what do they do? They speak for God. They foretell. Sometimes we get caught up in prophecy as a foretelling, telling about the future, what's going to happen in the future. And we kind of love to think about that and, and to see these predictions or, or think about prophecy as just predictions. Well, sometimes that's a role of the prophet. Most often, though, it wasn't necessarily to say, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future. It was just to tell a group of people, this is what God intends for you. This is his message to you. This is how he desires for you to live your life. And so prophets in, in this early, early church without access to the, to the New Testament like we have, they, they needed to be able to hear what God wanted them to do. So the uh, prophets were this important role in the early church. Teachers, uh, if you separated these two gifts, and most of the time in the New Testament, they're not separated. Most of the time they're smushed together, and I think for good reason. But teachers were, if you separated these gifts, this would be the idea of going back to the Old Testament and telling about how that connected to Jesus and how Jesus fulfills so many of those prophecies and so much of that teaching and so connecting the old testament to jesus and the story of jesus when you read about philip in the book of of acts you might remember that story god says i want you to go to this road he's on this road and along comes this chariot this this ethiopian leader is riding the chariot reading from the book of isaiah uh, philip asks hey do you understand this the ethiopian leader says no i don't How, i need somebody to explain it and so they hop in the chariot together and and philip explains the story of jesus starting with the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. That's what a teacher in the New Testament did. And so I, I think these ideas are usually smushed together, and I think with this list of five leaders in the church at Antioch, that's what we get. I don't think some of them are prophets and some of them are teachers. I think they're prophets. They're being led and moved by the Holy Spirit to teach God's word and to share what it says and to share what direction that he has to give this early church. Uh, so part of, a part of it is just checking out this team of leaders in, in the church in Antioch and why they were so influential. And man, when you look at the leadership, it, it makes some sense. Uh, check out the list in verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with the Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
So there's a list of five folks here that serve uh, on this leadership team, this group of prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch. We know quite a bit about two of these guys, all right? Two, two of these folks we can read in the book of Acts and the New Testament, and we can learn about the impact that they made. And man, what an impact these folks had. First on the list is Barnabas, and Barnabas is a guy that we meet in the book of Acts, but we know way more about what Barnabas does in the book of Acts than most of the 12 disciples that we met in the Gospels. I mean, he makes a huge impact on the life of the early church. God uses him in a powerful way. First, in the book of Acts, our first introduction to him, we learn that Barnabas is a generous guy, and he gives to the work of God. He gives to the early church and the local church, and, and God uses his generosity in a powerful way. We later learn that Barnabas is an is a, is a individual who stood up for Saul, who would be renamed by God Paul and who would go on to write all those letters. And man, he stood up for Saul when nobody else would. He was, a, he was an encourager and somebody who, who stood by his friends and worked with them. He, was a, he was one of, went on the first missionary journey with, with Saul, Paul. He was sent by the church in Jerusalem to Antioch to investigate this idea of Gentiles saying, hey, I want to follow after Jesus. The, the church in Jerusalem, they said, this sounds like a good idea, maybe? Let's go figure it out. And Barnabas is the guy they trusted to go find out what is happening and what should be happening and how can we help it grow. Read about the work of Saul, who becomes Paul in the book of Acts. And in his own letters, we know that his life was filled with preaching and teaching and healing. He writes these letters that account for about half of what we call the New Testament. Man, what a super duo. This, these guys make this huge impact. And maybe it's because of this legacy, of this tremendous legacy of the bookends of this list. Barnabas at the beginning of the list and Saul at the end of the list. Maybe it's because of the impact of these two individuals on that list that scholars want to sort of build the backstory of these other three guys, because truly what we know about these three leaders at the church of Antioch is what we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. We know their names. There's this guy by the name of Simeon called Niger. So what we know about him is that he was probably Jewish because Simeon is a Jewish name. We know his name, maybe his ethnicity a little bit. We know that he had a dark complexion. That's what the word Niger means. The next guy listed, the next person listed is Lucius of Cyrene. Some scholars say, well, he was probably a Roman citizen because Lucius is a Latin name. And so we get this Latin name. So maybe he was a Roman citizen. We know where he's from. That's about it. We gather from this list. The last guy is Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, that's the guy who beheaded John the Baptist, you remember reading about that and, and that background in, in the book of Luke, we get some extra information about the Herods that we don't read in the other gospels. Well, scholars think it's probably because Luke, who writes the book of Acts, had this relationship with Manian from the church at Antioch, and so he has this little insider information. And that's all we know about this list of three guys. As scholars want to build kind of this backstory, and you can do the research and uh, how interesting these backstories might be, and we, we don't know if any of it is true. I don't think it's important. I think it's way cooler that we know so little about these three individuals. 
because they serve on this powerful team of leaders in this church that makes this huge impact, and they have these ordinary kind of everyday lives with kind of these, maybe these facts that are sort of, oh, that's interesting. So when you look at the leadership team at the, at the church in Antioch, you have a couple guys that you go, man, they have outstanding backgrounds and abilities, and God uses those outstanding talents and abilities and backgrounds in big ways. And then you have the majority of the list, the majority of that leadership team, that you'd go, oh, that's pretty ordinary. But guess what? God uses them in the same powerful way. When you look around this room, when you look around this team here at Wallula Christian Church, there's a few, don't point right now, but there's a few of us in this room that you'd go, man, they are outstanding. They have all the necessary skills. They have all the necessary education. They have, they have all the necessary talents. And they ought to be serving in leadership, and God ought to be using them in bigger ways than he's using them already, and they can do even more. And you look around at guys like me, and you go, he's pretty ordinary. But guess what? God is using the, these ordinary folks in this list in verse 13 in the church of Antioch, this church that, that is instrumental in the growth of the story of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the church. We are sitting in this room. We are sitting in this room because of the church at Antioch. They launched these three missionary journeys of Paul. Each one of them, this church launches. And it's Paul's decision to eventually say, Barnabas, you go this direction, and I'm going to go this direction. And what direction did Paul want to go? He wanted to go west, young man. Right? We probably hear the story of Jesus because of the church in Antioch. Because of God using these ordinary folks that we know so little about. So what made this church influential if it wasn't the extraordinary gifts of its congregants? Well, I think you go back in the book of Acts to chapter 4. One of my very favorite verses in all of Scripture, verse 13, it's talking about two different guys. Peter and John, and they're caught up with some Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who want to just stop this movement called the way. They want to stop this young church from growing, this, uh, fo- these followers of Jesus from having any influence. And when they encounter Peter and John, verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, says that they were amazed at the courage of Peter and John because they knew that they, Peter and John, were ordinary and unschooled men. But they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What made the difference in the lives of Peter and John with some ordinary backgrounds, with not enough education, was that they had been with Jesus. What makes the difference in the lives of of the leadership team in the church at Antioch is that these folks had been with Jesus. When you look around the room, when you look in the mirror, maybe, and you say, yeah, I would, but I'm just kind of an ordinary, everyday kind of guy, just an ordinary, everyday kind of person. We ought to check out the team here at Wallula because we can be with Jesus. 
we can have that same difference-making influence that the church at Antioch did by seeking him out. That's really sign number two. We ought to check out the prayer. Look, look what they were doing in the church at Antioch. Verse two says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it, 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 it's awesome to me that, you know, this wasn't like a special event. They didn't say, hey, we've got to get together on this special day at this special time because we're going to have this worship service and we're going to fast leading up to this. It wasn't something out of the ordinary that these folks were doing. It was sort of uh, their everyday life that they would worship and fast and seek God in prayer. And so they, they decided to set apart for Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They, they heard the Holy Spirit and they decided to do this because they, they saw they were seeking God over and over and over again. My uh, sophomore year in college, some, some guys moved in down the hall from us in the dorm, freshmen, and they were goofy. They were good guys, but they were just goofy. And I remember my first conversation with these guys, and uh, through the course of this conversation, the, these two guys kept using the same phrase, and they'd say, Moger, and I thought, what in the world are you saying? Moger, and pretty soon they'd reply to just about anything you asked them with this phrase. You'd say, how was the weather? They'd say, Moger. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I am not, the, these, these guys are goofballs. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, it's a small campus, and they kept using this phrase over and over. And pretty soon, like all 300 people on campus were using this phrase, Moger. I thought, I'm not going to do it. This is dumb. I will not use this phrase ever. If I do, you know, take me out back and that sort of thing. We're sitting around in the dorm room one night. There's a whole bunch of us there, and we're young and dumb, and so we're having a young and dumb kind of conversation, and we're throwing... The, basically insults back and forth at you because when you're young and dumb and a boy that's what you do i don't know why but that's what we were doing and somebody really got me you know they my mom's here so i won't tell you what they said or i don't you know they said something i don't even remember right but i i remember i was at a loss for a comeback i know that's hard to believe because i'm so quick-witted and all that but i was i was lost and I'm, my mind's running through all the your mama jokes I can think of, and I can't come up with an appropriate one. I, just nothing's coming to mind. And, and before I can think, before I can do anything, out of my mouth comes moger. Well, I'm done, right? That's it. What in the world? Why'd that happen? Well, it's because that's what I was around. That's what I was immersed in. I heard it every day. It was idiot, but I heard it every day. You know, it, it's amazing that this church, who we, we, that we just read, they, they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. They were seeking God every day in prayer. And I wonder how big that prayer was that they were praying. Who do you suppose they were praying, God, we want to know exactly the, the folks that, that we should send out on this missionary journey. Maybe there's two people here that stand out, and we need to pick these two people. Who are these two people? I suppose they could have prayed that. I wonder if they did. 
Do you think they, they prayed, God, I, I, I bet there's somebody here, and we want to pick just the right person because this person is going to start a, a letter-writing ministry, and, and he'll, he'll write these letters that generation upon generation upon generation of followers of Jesus will rely on and will go to to seek comfort and to learn about you, and maybe they prayed that prayer. I wonder if they did. Maybe they prayed, God, we want to pick the right people because we're going to send them on three journeys and they're going to start this number of churches and these churches are going to make this amount of difference. Maybe they prayed that prayer. I wonder, I wonder if they did. I wonder how big the prayer they prayed was. You know what I think? I think the bigness, you've got to hang with my Kansas dialect, the bigness of their prayer didn't have anything to do with how specific their prayer was. You know, sometimes we get lost and, God, I, I want to pray the right thing. I want to say the right thing so that, you know, you'll be able to use us in this, this way that's going to be the best for your kingdom. And we get lost in the fact that the bigness of our prayers is really just in the faithfulness of our prayers. That the church at Antioch worshipped and fasted and worshipped and fasted. See, I know that I can't pray big enough prayers for how big God is, but I can be faithful in seeking his voice. That's part of the power of our small groups. You know, they, they help us to pray these prayers, not because we're praying the right words, not because we're doing or saying the right thing, but because we're remaining faithful and seeking God. Check out the prayer that was prayed here at the church at Antioch. Sign number three is to check out the commission. Look at verse three. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So after they had fasted and prayed, well, wait a second, they'd, they'd already received their answer. They already knew it was Paul and Barnabas, but they continued to pray. They continued to keep seeking him. Sometimes we need to, to just pray so that we have the, the energy and the strength and the courage to follow through with the answers we've already received. You know, in so many ways, this, this next series that we'll be launching next week, this series one, we, we know the answers to some of the questions we're asking. And this week, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be praying and I'll be fasting and I'll be praying for courage and strength to follow through with some of the answers that I already know. That God has already said. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This laying of hands on, on individuals, it's a, it's a tradition that dates back to the Old Testament. The, in the Old Testament, if you go back to, to a book like Numbers, chapter 27, verses 18 through 20, you'll read about Moses and God's instruction to Moses as he sets uh, Joshua apart to, to participate in leadership of the nation of Israel. And, and God said, lay your hands on him and, and, and give him the, the authority that he needs to lead. 
And so Moses laid hands on them. And this was a tradition that was followed as, uh, in ordaining leaders that rabbis followed to ordain other rabbis. We read about it in the, in the early church as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul talks to his protege, Timothy, and he, he reminds him about the fact that he was set apart for ministry when the elders laid their hands on him and his local church and prayed for him. It's clear by these actions then that when the church at Antioch set Paul and Barnabas apart and they laid their hands on them and prayed for them, that they believed that the the ministry of, of Paul and Barnabas, this new ministry, was really important. And here at Wallula Christian Church, we believe that these small groups that will be beginning in the next few weeks can have a big impact. We believe that that ministry is really important. And so we want to take just a minute to pray for those groups and for our leaders. I'm not sure how many we have in in the worship service here today. I know we had uh, several of our leaders in in the the 9 o'clock, but if you're a small group leader, I'd invite you to stand for for just a second here. I promise that's all I'm going to ask you to do. All right, so if you lead a small group, go ahead and stand up. Awesome. And what we're going to do is just pray for these leaders and for the groups and stay standing. You got to stand up. You're not done. There you go. There you go. Good job. Just stand up. If you're an apprentice leader, stand up. I want you to stand. I'm going to invite other folks to stand up now, too. We're going to lay hands on them. So just reach out to a shoulder. You can stand up around them. It's okay. These, these folks are pretty nice, mostly. Go ahead. Everybody stand up. If you're able, please stand. All right. Good job. You can move. It's okay to move and switch spots. If you need to, just reach out. And just a few people, put your hands on the shoulders of these small group leaders. If you're not in the area, you can just kind of extend a hand. I'm going to pray for these small groups and small group leaders this morning. All right? Father God, we love you. And we thank you so much for loving us. We're grateful that you're a God who invites us to be a part of your family, that you invite us to be a part of your team. I'm thankful for the, the willingness of, of these uh, small group leaders, some of them for the very first time, some of them doing something they've never done before, some of them who are, who are doubting their, their ability and their talents and their skills, but they're willing to step out and to share the story of Jesus. I, I would pray that they would remain faithful in seeking you first, that they, would, that they would spend time with you so that when others encounter them, uh, they might say, well, they, man, they don't look like anything special, but something's different about them. And that they might come to realize that it's, it's that these folks have been with Jesus. And that that passion would be the, the passion that influences others to, to seek you and to seek a relationship with Jesus. That, that's the only thing that makes a difference in our lives. God, I, I pray for the groups that are represented by these leaders. I pray that they'd be a, a place where, where folks would, would build really tremendous friendships. That they'd be places where we could, where we could go and we could, we could seek answers to our questions in a, in a place where we know that other folks care about us, where, places where we can go when, when we know we, we need just a, just a helping hand to do some of the, the silly practical things in life and we're not sure where we're going to find that. I, I pray that these groups would be places where those answers to those, those practical questions are found. God, I pray that that you would be uh, made more famous in the neighborhoods represented by these leaders and the neighborhoods represented by these uh, groups. 
that you would be made more famous and that, that more folks in those neighborhoods would turn to a relationship with Jesus as the ultimate question to some of the biggest, the ultimate answer to some of the biggest questions in life. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your team. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.